0: This is Q-Live Debate on Q-Radio. An insightful time into listening to conversations about the
1: LGBT community with interesting topics, debates and more about their lives.
0: Hey guys, welcome to the new edition of Q-Live Debate with Aditya and Shreyas. We are here to fight our hearts out. Shreyas, how are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Fighting spirit, full on? Yes, yes, totally. So, on that note, guys, a lot of happy things, a lot of good things happening around here. In fact, today also is a very special day. We have a very, very, very special guest yeah. in our studio today. I'm not really going to introduce that guest myself because there is so much about him that I think I'll fall short of words. And, and we we'll, we'll,
1: we are scared. I'm especially scared to introduce him because... I'm scared of missing out points No about but don't him. worry You know uh,
0: I'm quite smart right And I know how yeah, to get the convenient way Since I know that Even though he does a lot of things He's a very sweet and very humble person yeah. So I'm going to give the task of introducing that person Like I'm going to give him the task of introducing <laughs> himself Because I know he won't talk much about himself But uh, we have Dr. Daya with us in studio today
1: And welcome
0: Dr. Daya to our studio
1: um, thank you, Aditya and Treyas for having me on the show. First of all, it's really nice to be in this space and talk about issues which I'm very passionate about and I've been working on.
0: So, uh, uh, Doctor, tell us a bit about yourself first, starting from your full name for all the ladies and <laughs> out
1: there. Tell us a bit
0: about yourself first.
1: Well, I'm uh, Dr. Daya Prasad Kulkarni and um, I'm a medical graduate. Um, I passed out in 2004 and ever since I've been uh, practicing, uh, for the last eight, nine years I've been working with a lot of vulnerable so-called populations. Uh, I've been working with uh, transgenders, hij- as commercial sex workers, women um, and children. Uh, in this space of uh, HIV and STI primarily And then gradually moved on to public health space Okay, uh, doctor, are you from Bangalore? Are you originally from here? Yes, I am a Bangalorean to the core, like I say okay. But also an international uh, citizen at the same time Okay,
0: so where did you finish your medical school
1: from? I, I finished my medicine from Kolar Rajaras Medical College Okay And then I went on to do a master's in clinical research from the UK
0: Oh, wow so, two, two or three years in UK then? Uh, it's
1: a two-year two, year, two years program. So, And then I also did a fellowship in leadership from the US. Okay.
0: And how long back was this? Like, when did you finish your medical studies? Uh, this was in 2005. And since then, uh, you've been working here in Bangalore? Yes. Okay. So, do you have your own clinic... Or
1: um, Like I said earlier in that chat, uh, I don't have a private practice. What I do, uh, I call it as public practice okay. because my philosophy is that traditionally in India, both uh, health and education have never been commodities to be sold. Okay. So I've never charged um, my patients for the treatment which I offer. And that is never. my philosophy. And that is what I'm trying to propagate as well by getting uh, people in the medical fraternity to volunteer in the healthcare space and make this a as a new model of service delivery and uh, uh, it's it's a little probably hurtful question but are people around you letting you like bring this new model in are they letting you be happy doing what you're doing yes definitely because it's just it's just the beginning and it's a very uh, small component of the entire service delivery model we have the government sector we have the private sector and this is going to be a small component and a lot of them when I say seva uh, seva is this inherent quality within all of us and all of us want to do it in one way or the other so when we're giving them a structured meaningful opportunity which is genuine and credible people are more than willing to contribute okay So, uh, Doctor, please tell me, where did all this start? Like, I can imagine uh, a
0: bright young doctor having especially come back from UK and all and all the possible things and all the possible ways that one can earn money and like places to go. Where, where Where does this journey, where do you take this turn suddenly?
1: Um, I think the germ was uh, put in my mind when I was finishing my medicine in 2004 when the tsunami happened on December 26th and I was posted in community medicine and I took off two days later with a group of eight volunteers some of them from uh, some photographers and students of photography I was the only doctor and I worked in um, two hamlets of Nagapatnam Akrapete and Kichangupam for more than a year I think that is where this whole journey started of Seva itself But when you're talking about the community, uh, I was always skeptical like the, uh, like a lot of people uh, who have have seen and known are afraid of uh, transgenders or hijras in a train or in a bus or in in a a, a traffic signal. Mm -hmm. I was one of them. Um, I used to travel a lot on my own and every time I was in a train and I would see someone walking into the compartment, I would either act like I'm sleeping or run into the toilet. Um... And towards this phase, when I was more uh, sensitive to meeting with different kinds of people and interacting with them, um, I saw that there were a lot of them, uh, traffic signals in Bangalore. Mm. and. Uh, at one point, I decided that I should stop and talk to them. I wanted to know who they are and ask them why they're doing this. Just out
0: of curiosity. Yes. Nothing specific. Okay.
1: So, I just stopped uh, at a signal close to Road. I still remember that very, very clearly. And there were two or three of them. And I asked them if I could, you know, step aside and talk to them. They thought I'm a potential client or so. And they <laughs> took me to Caban Park, actually. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> one of them actually sat with me and we had a really long conversation. And I think that was the beginning of this journey for me. Okay.
0: So uh but what was in those first days when you were just start talking to them or uh like whenever you thought about this what was it you thought that needed change what was it that you thought that Uh, not uh, and I'm not when I say change I'm not talking about something too big too revolutionary but usually change or rather an important change always starts from something really small Hmm. really simple
1: yeah there's always a very small thing that triggers a a big thing
0: exactly so what was it what was one of those first things that you saw or heard of or noticed or thought of that you thought you know this needs working upon this needs attention this needs somebody not just
1: a compassionate but somebody knowledgeable somebody who's who can handle it professionally needs to look at what was that first thing? I think uh, one of the things you mentioned, knowledgeable. I think that was the key thing that h- hooked me onto this because I knew so little about any of, you know, either their, uh, the way they live, their communities, their issues, their lifestyles. I did not know anything. And most people who I would interact with did not know anything either. Okay. And unless you talk to them, you wouldn't get the information from anywhere else. Yeah. And I had to, and I think that was, I was really curious and I've had that nature from the beginning and I wanted to know more, understand. Also, because of my research kind of background um, and my interest in the space of HIV and STIs, um, I knew that the prevalence rate of uh, HIV in the community was so high Uh, compared to the normal general population. It was tremendously high and I did not know why. So, I was really, really curious to find out more about them and that is, I think, what hooked me on to it. Okay.
0: So... Now that you have already mentioned a couple of things, we actually we actually started with that. But uh, please, like not just to me but to all our audience, please tell us in detail about what exactly is it that you do now. What what all are the
1: activities or organizations or the communities that you are associated with? Mm-hmm. Um- well, for the last uh, seven to eight years, I have been working with multiple nonprofits um, like Jagruti or PSI, MSF, uh, and um, my own uh, organization called Madhyama Foundation. And through this, what we've done is we've set up free clinics, or I consult uh, mostly as an independent researcher or a consultant with any of these organizations or wherever there is a need for me. Um, and I also do a lot of... Um, research academic research in this space uh, so primarily to answer your question what I do is um, I consult with uh, people give them um, medical consultation in uh, specifically in terms of uh, STI sexually transmitted infections treatment okay. counseling and HIV counseling and treatment okay so this is the specific area that I work, work in okay
0: Uh, But uh, before the show, doctor, we were also talking about uh, mainly transgender community and how Mm -hmm. you have been like closely associated with them. Mm -hmm. We also spoke about how uh, the lines of getting a sex change operation in India is a very vague line about how it falls uh, between legal and illegal. It falls in Indian. Like I, I always call that area Indian. The area which falls between <laughs> legal and illegal. So how it falls in the Indian. So uh, working with uh, a space like that, frankly speaking, uh, say career-wise, uh, money-wise, attention-wise, uh, fame, uh, or in any sense, that's not exactly a lucrative as such career. And yes. it's not just because there is not too much money or fame involved. But frankly speaking, there are a lot of hardships. And I'm not even just talking about from the perspective of community. For somebody who even decides to like work in that area. Mm. So, so how you must have come across a lot of people who are willing to go through these changes, or wh- who are confused about these. How are you associated with
1: them? Um, well, uh, one of the things is um, there are a lot of people who. Um, mm. want these kind of procedures what we call in medical terms as SRS or sex reassignment surgery yep. right um, but not many are privileged to have access to these kind of services especially in our country okay. and uh, they, they could belong to any socioeconomic strata. they may be rich they may be poor but in spite of that they may not have access because we don't have enough specialists who are um, knowledgeable who are sensitive to these kind of issues and also um, on top of it the legal system itself is silent on the issue of sex change and it is very very ambiguous okay so uh, specialists uh, don't want to get into the hassle of doing some procedure and then having to f- you know face legal uh, complications oh, yeah, based yeah. out of that so it it is definitely challenging especially because um, for me a lot of people stereotype the moment i say i'm doing work with the community yeah. uh, there are uh, different people who have different kinds of opinions and stereotypes about yes ab- yeah. preconceived misconceptions which they have um so i've tried a lot of ways uh in which they can also come in and get exposed to the reality one of the reasons is because this is a very closed community and there is not much of an interaction on a day-to-day basis like you and i are having that is very very minimal okay right so there is no scope for the two communities to understand each other or to interact with each other at all okay And that has to be somehow um, uh, addressed. Okay. Um, Also,
0: I wanted to ask that uh, you you mentioned the fact that there are these... It it might be sounding like a different uh, topic altogether, but you mentioned about these misconceptions. Does Mm -hmm. it ever happen to you, by the way? Like, you know, uh, usually, especially when you do it... And I'm going to say it in crude words, but especially when you do something good for free Mm -hmm. or when you don't ask something in return, people by the very nature of human mind people just assume that there must be some ulterior motive to it
1: catch it, to it yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: like do they ever assume that you are either part of the community or you have some agenda, hidden agenda to it and whether they question or why would you want to do
1: that or something yes definitely that happens a lot of times even people who are, you know know me well always, um, at least uh, the first thing a lot of times people ask me is what is in it for you okay you know and what do you get out of it okay where does the money come from okay. these are st- or are you a part of the community okay. these are the kind of things that I get uh, a lot of times and what is um, <laughs> all I say is I um, uh, a lot of times I say I'm selfish okay. because um, I am getting to do what I actually want to do and how many people that you know of have that uh, liberty and freedom to go out there and do what they always wanted to do a lot of my maybe uh, f- friends or people in the fraternity envy me okay. because they, they see that I'm doing what I want to do and you're happy doing it right. it's not exactly. like somebody put you up to it exactly. irrespective of your um, they b- and they say that even though we want to do something that we want, but we're so caught up in the system we're not able to do it. So I am actually in that way selfish, I would say. Because I'm happy and I'm doing what I'm doing and that's probably what is keeping me driving force. Yeah, and keeping me going. Correct. I told you guys
0: he's way too humble for any of us. It doesn't take just the freedom, it takes a lot of courage to do exactly what you want and be proud about it. I just realized that uh You mentioned that you don't take money for most of the help that you give out. Mm -hmm. So technically it's not work, it's help. You're helping these people. But then I realized that belonging to this particular community or having a particular sexual identity is not a prerogative of a particular class. It can happen or anybody can be anything. But unfortunately, uh, the way the terms are coined uh, in our today's mm-hmm. society, you just call somebody a transgender and somebody especially, somebody like me or us who isn't and who also isn't aware about a situation. For them, mm-hmm. somebody just a transgender. But I think being a transgender and still belonging to a particular class makes a lot of difference, doesn't it? Of course, it's not just it is. the money. It's yeah. it's the exposure, is the awareness, is the availability of resources for knowledge as well as other resources, mm-hmm. as medical and everything, makes a difference. So, what what is what is these differences that you have seen? Like, what is to be a transgender and be a son of a billionaire, and what is it to be working? in a slum or be son of a mathadi worker and still be a transgender what what are those differences um,
1: like every coin has two sides I think even this uh, has its own pros and cons either you belong to the upper socioeconomic status or you are you know a part of a BPL family or a slum yeah. dweller or a migrant you know community it has its own uh, pros and cons obviously for example if you belong to an uh, uh, upper socioeconomic status and like a son of a billionaire who wants to understand He obviously has the resources um, maybe financially and maybe access to uh, specialists. Also the ability to maybe flow into a more progressive country where the specialists are very good and you have all the facilities which are available. But... um, You may have so much because of the stigma, you may have so much stigma attached that the family may just disown you or they may not want you to be a part of them anymore or they may not um, give you access to the financial resources which they have. So that is one aspect. But if the family is um, understanding, is progressive in that sense and uh, supports you in what you're doing, then life becomes a lot easier. Okay. Okay, so that is one extreme. And when you come to the other extreme where you don't have access to any resources, you don't know who to approach and even if you do approach doctors or people in the medical fraternity they may not be sensitive at all okay. they may ostracize you and then not entertain you at absolutely okay and you don't have the financial resources to go to a specialist or fly into uh, Thailand or Germany and get procedures done. Then you don't have a choice but to join, leave your family and join a um, uh, hijra community, for example, who are living on their own okay. um, or join an ashram in that sense. Okay. Um, but you also have, on the other hand, some advantage for this section where there have been traditionally roles like this in the community which have been existing for okay. thousands of years. Okay. And because of that, there may be some level of acceptance in the community. Okay. Right. So, there is that um, kind of silver lining also, but it is not the norm, I would say.
0: Yeah and plus I think uh, as much as that they would be accepted in a way that you are saying it's still I think it's difficult to be accepted only in particular way that if you are you will be a, are part of a community only if you are either going to be a begging or you're going to be a prostitute or you're going to be one of those dance, uh, if you know what I mean
1: definitely there are a lot of challenges and difficulties associated so it is a big decision for anybody to take on but the underlying um, you know, instinctive desire is so strong that it makes you face all this it gives you the strength to face all these challenges and still want to go ahead and be what you want to be okay actually there are two different questions that are coming to my mind and actually I'm going to want
0: answers to both of them mm-hmm. but let's start with the first one you at least three times mentioned uh, flying out uh, you, in fact before our show we were talking about Thailand uh, Argentina and Germany right. and stuff like that so if I'm a, a person who has realized that he's a transgender he or she is a transgender and I need to get done why do I need to fly out is it because uh, I would rather do it uh, as in, uh is anonymity the reason is better resources or better medical facilities the reason or it's just easier doing hmm. it somewhere else than doing it here what what is the yeah. what is the problem
1: i think i would say there are multiple reasons okay. one anonymity of course um, the I think the more important reason is uh, having the sp- speciality or having access to specialists who uh, can do a, a good job um, not that we don't have uh, plastic surgeons or we don't have specialists who can do it here but the number of people who are specialized it is not a simple procedure okay I'm sure you're aware of it it is complex and it involves multiple sittings it involves a lot of counseling and you know uh, preparation in that sense both before and after the surgery so there is a lot of it is a super speciality in itself and we don't have that many skilled sensitive uh, people who can do that procedure here Uh, having said that there is also uh, the legal um, ambiguity which exists in the country where uh, the doctor is maybe in some ways liable to uh, arrest or whatever if he goes, goes ahead and does something like this because there is still no clarity on the law uh, and uh, but once you go in go out of the country and get a procedure done and you come back um, if you want to go ahead and get all your identities changed your identification cards changed your uh, name changed there is there are a lot of legal procedures which you have to it's undergo. a part
0: of the normal system yes to, to, basically.
1: to become a part of the system if you just want to uh, disappear from the system then you are more than welcome I mean it's very easy in that okay. sense okay. but if you want to stay in have access to all your rights and um, be an individual in the society okay. then you will have to also go through a lot of legal procedures later on to get the certificate uh, to change your you know name and those kind of things as well
0: okay uh, but uh, you also mentioned the things about like uh, in like in my head It was always about One surgery mm-hmm. Like I'm sorry for sounding Like whatever Ignorant But in my head It was about One day that you go to a doctor You tell them that You know I've realized that I'm a woman And not a man I need to get this surgery done And probably it takes Two hours Probably it takes Two days Two weeks But I come out of The operation theater And now I'm a woman but obviously that's not the case like I, I know I'm sounding like really uneducated right now but I'm putting it that way because that's the idea most of us even half the people I don't think I've heard of a sex change mm-hmm. or sex reinstating surgery uh, for that matter and for those who have they have no idea about what it involves right so can you tell us what it involves especially uh, around it what before and after and what is the part of this whole process.
1: Uh, yeah I mean there are a lot of things uh, that are involved in sex what we call SRS sex reassignment surgery okay. it's not just about if, for example if it is an M to F it's not just about emasculation okay. that can be probably done in one sitting but it involves many many um other things it there is a lot of pre operative and post operative counseling which uh the individual has to go through to understand because when you undergo a procedure like an SRS it is completely irre- a lot of times and um, you can never you know be um, as realistic as a natural individual in that sense and then after SRS you can also not become a genetic father or mother which is a very very important point which people should consider before they take this decision so there's a lot of counseling involved before and after And then after a few rounds of counseling, they also undergo what is called as hormone therapy to feel more masculine or feminine, whatever Depending is upon. desired. Yep. And this is followed by a real life experience, what we call a real life test where the person has actually has to spend time in that form in, in uh, as a female, if he wants to get uh, from an M to F Okay. In, in that form for a fixed amount of time. And when you say in that form, uh, means living in the society. As- so where.
0: Clothes Like a female Where like If it's M2F Where clothes like a female Talk like a female Conduct yourself
1: Yes Definitely And that is Actually essential That's one of the uh, Essential criteria For somebody to Go through And it's called Real life experience Where you're um, Living In this new Desired external Appearance In the society Okay So that also gives you A feel of What is your acceptance What are the things That you should You know Learn or unlearn Based on the change That you're undergoing Um these are some of the things and then once this is done there are a lot of people who also want other things you know like removal of facial hair changes in vocal cords voice okay. because uh, when yes. you go from an M to F you cannot have a manly voice so these are all very small things but which are for them it is very important for you and I it may sound like oh how does that make a difference it's just a voice but these are all important things um, people go to the extent of reducing the size of their bones facial bones uh, hip oh, bones on. breast implants um, so there is a whole gamut of things around SRS it's not just one procedure hello
0: uh, hello. Hello, yes. This is Nandakumar. Ah, uh, hello. I would like to ask uh, Dr. Vaya a question. Yes. Uh, By just by doing this social service, how can you, I mean, all are living through that. (laughs) I think that's a question in everybody's mind, but we are waiting for somebody else to ask it for us. So there you go, Dr. Daya. In plain simple words,
1: how do you live? Right. Um, Firstly, I would say uh, uh, thank you, uh, Nandaji, for asking the question, uh, because a lot of people ask me this question and they're also curious about it. Um, firstly I have a very simple life I um, am not married uh, yet I live with my parents (laughs) like a traditional Indian boy so my uh, basic needs are very um, minimal Uh, having said that there is money required and uh, uh, right now I am on a fellowship so which is supported by uh, Seva International Channel through Seva International in the US it is a very minimal um, uh, honorarium which I get on a monthly basis to sustain my basic needs and pay my bills that is how I'm sustained that's going to come to an end soon so I'm actually in the process of writing up more fellowships (laughs) to sustain myself Okay. I hope that answers your question
0: yeah okay right. so simple right but uh, we think that the answer to yeah. that question would be probably dramatic and somebody would tell us about uh, the hardships that one went through but look at this man is yeah. saying that so humbly you yeah you, uh, maybe, you apparently you need yeah. money sometimes once in a while so and for that fellowship is enough you just need to go on but but uh, has has there been uh, any moments uh, doctor where you felt that enough is enough can't do this like you know what I'll just I have enough knowledge I've studied abroad as well I'm just going to leave All of this And just go out And work for myself And just earn like Dumb loads of money Has it
1: ever happened? No, and, and a more curious question After you ask this is Has no one ever come and told you that okay we have studied something different I mean we studied something together why can't we do that and open a clinic of ourselves and and, and you know I mean I'm, I mean I'm just asking very curious yeah definitely that has happened because when uh, uh, my own family my older brother is also a doctor ah, and okay. he's a neuro anesthetist and he practices in oh, the UK very lucrative, um, <laughs> very lucrative. yeah he, he lives there and especially for my parents it was difficult because they see one son who's a doctor who's going the mainstream way and Mm -hmm. you know um, uh, is wearing formals and tie and in a hospital and earning Mm -hmm. in pounds and then the other son they don't know what he's doing (laughs) right so they are uh, worried but I'm really really thankful to my parents and my brother who've been so supportive in what I've done I wouldn't have been here if they had stopped me from doing what I did but they've always been worried but they've never stopped me from doing what I did and then slowly I got them also involved in you know as volunteers to come and look oh. at what I'm doing and understand so I think that has helped them to know what I'm doing is has some meaning and is helping some people so they have they are now little less worried now they want me to get married <laughs> <laughs> I hope that answers Mr.
0: nandas question do you want to ask question? No, no, but uh, does he intend to do this, I mean, permanently? Or
1: uh, permanently? Yes, I see this as my life purpose. Um, uh, I'm working on uh, setting up a platform for uh, people in the medical fraternity to volunteer and offer their services at no cost so that not just for the community in space of HIV or transgenders but in general to decommodify health care so that people who need uh, healthcare should uh, be able to access it and uh, not be deprived of it because they don't have money to pay for a service. So that's there. Nanda Ji, anyways,
0: thanks a lot for calling in our show. Actually, we were just talking about uh, the kind of guidelines and screening process. In fact, I know for a fact that in a lot of Western countries, as much as they are a lot more open to the idea of SRSS and uh, in general, alternate sexuality, there are also a lot of uh, states or countries which see this as an elective or hmm. uh, elective surgery or a plastic surgery where be, uh, or to put it in simple terms they think this is just somebody's way of beautifying themselves does <coughs> India even have any sort of norms or policies against or rather for how such surgeries should be viewed or
1: what should what should they be considered as um Like he's just mentioned, that tomorrow's crucial decision in Section 377 I think is very, very important and all of us are eagerly awaiting for that. But I think that will just be the beginning because we have a lot more sections to fight against after that. So one of the things uh, under uh, Section 320 of the IPC clearly states that emasculating or castrating someone uh, is causing him grievous hurt for which one can be punished under section 325 of IPC so technically speaking even if somebody voluntarily comes to me and consents and chooses to get emasculated the doctor is liable to punishment oh so you are saying that section section 325 did you say yeah yeah. so 325
0: doesn't talk about uh, consent or volunteer volunteer. Uh, no
1: it just says that emasculating someone is causing grievous hurt so but there is an exception under section 88 which um, kind of says when it is undertaken in good faith and the person gives consent you know that still exists, but because it is ambiguous, people don't want to take that risk. Okay. Right? So, that is uh, something which we need to work on um, and go ahead and see if we can clarify that okay. so that it becomes a lot more easier. And when you are talking about requirements for <clears throat> a procedure. Okay. There are quite a few prerequisites or requirements for not just uh, genital surgery, but even for uh, hormonal therapy or breast surgeries. Okay for example so obviously for one of the thing, main important thing is the patient has to be a major um, I wouldn't call I know the in, on paper it it says patient but that is not the right word because uh, that is another uh, thing that we are trying to change medically because it's not a disorder uh, you know a disease in itself so that. Uh, pa- calling patient would be derogatory okay um, yeah so I would stand corrected having um, uh, the per- the person who is wanting to uh, undergo this procedure has to uh, be a major <clears throat> okay and if not then obviously parental release is required okay right so that is the first most important thing the person also must be in a state of mind a frame of mind which is stable and Uh, For that you need to have uh, Two independent psychiatrists Especially for surgery At two different intervals At a gap of six months To rule out any abnormal mental status Are we still referring to IPC? no 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 these are uh, uh, in that sense medical guidelines
0: okay because I would be surprised if Indian uh, <laughs> like Indian penal code or Indian rule book and God book had so much no, consideration no, no. No, for so many it's, things it's, I would be overwhelmed these
1: are these are medical requirements for somebody okay. to oh, go sorry. into a Can procedure continue. yeah so we need to have um, two independent psychiatrists evaluating and certifying okay. and then um, if the person is married then the spouse also has to give a release form Okay. which is I think very important Um, And then for the genital surgery itself, the person must be living in the society in the new desired external appearance that is called real life experience for at least one year. Oh, one year, is it? Yes. Okay. And apart from that, there is continuous consultation and counseling with the psychiatrist for at least a year okay so this uh, again is another component um, which is lacking uh, I would say because we don't have so many um, skilled or qualified psychiatrists and mental health practitioners counselors who are sensitive to this area and who can address the uh, even in general there is a huge gap in terms of specialists like psychiatrists in, in the country and specifically in this area there is an even bigger gap which okay. needs to be filled and um, also recommend an affidavit from the patient, even though they've given consent getting it notarized before the surgery is in a way important, then you're making the state also as a witness, so you're kind of getting yourself basically
0: you're doing uh, (laughs) legitimately and not just on a whim or under the rafts or something actually I have couple of questions to ask you, I had them in my mind uh, from the moment actually we decided our topic for the day in fact Mm -hmm. Uh, imagine in a population of or like an hypothetical situation where 100 people who identify themselves for sure as uh, being of the other sex and what they were born in in India how many of those people eventually end up going through a successful and a complete SRS or successfully end up belonging to a different sex at least in
1: their own minds um Undergoing successful SRS, I would say, will be in single-digit figures out of 100. Oh, my God. Um, At least, that is my personal opinion. Um, I don't have any statistics or any data on that. But personally, from what I have seen in in the community and what I have observed across, it is definitely single-digit in 100. So, it's less than in fact it's very very i would say it's much much lesser uh, but successfully undergoing this entire procedure and living successfully as um, a person of the other sex which they desired which they were not identified with when in the beginning are actually a handful in the country you can recognize and name the you know people who are out there oh, okay. uh, it's very very small okay a lot of people um, end up mm, just you know living their lives out Okay. Uh, some of them do, s- some of the, like partially undergo things. Some people undergo hormone treatments. Yeah. Some people undergo breast enhancements. Um. Some people try and undergo emasculation. But there may not be complete reconstruction. Or as you said, that. some people just <coughs> dress up differently or yes. try and up, like, do the external changes yes. rather than... So, these are smaller, uh, larger numbers. Yeah. But uh, very, very few out of these actually uh, undergo the entire... You know, okay. gamut of Spectrum, procedures. Yeah. Uh, uh, one because of lack of access, two because of lack of specialists, three because of it's very very expensive, and most people cannot afford it. So there are various reasons for that. Okay. I would say.
0: And I have one more. Uh, it might one more question, which might sound odd, especially in a discussion like this. But I genuinely feel that without any connotations to it, I think it's a very valid question. Have you ever witnessed any people who have gone through a surgery, if not the entire gamut, as you said, but at least a bit of it, but a physical change that they have gone through, a physical or hormonal change mm-hmm. and decided that it's not for them um, and tried to or successfully come back to their
1: original? Has it happened? Does it happen, in fact? Yes. Um it I have uh, definitely come across. Uh, it is very painful uh, in many sense because that is exa- also why uh, we clearly, very very clearly, try and tell that it is a irreversible procedure. Yeah, because you mentioned that. Yeah, because back. if you, especially if you're becoming from an F to M, okay, and if you're getting your uh, uterus removed, your ovaries removed, and then you realize, okay, you don't want this anymore. You want to go back and have a child, which is an instinctive desire for some of them, okay. right? So you cannot. Actually, go back and do that. Yeah. It is very difficult. So, I have uh, personally interacted with um, a couple of them, I would say definitely. One of them was this person um, who suddenly had this desire to bear a child. Oh. Um, okay. And, yeah, it it does happen. But it is uh, very difficult in that state. And there's a lot of... uh, In these kind of situations is where counseling is so very important. Somebody who is sensitive enough to listen to is very, very important. Plays a critical role in bringing that person back, you know, to bring that person into peace with themselves.
0: Half the time... uh instead of doing your medical stuff you are doing uh, please teach them and please help
1: them understand a lot of things stuff how, how does that work are you playing a counsellor all the time definitely I think it is also important as a doctor to uh, be a counsellor first and also to be able to listen patiently I think it's one thing uh, which um, uh, we are losing out right now earlier if you would go to a family physician he would sit and talk to you you know have chat with you like a family member and then treat you you know Do that. So so, that is very, very important. I think that is a part and parcel of uh, the profession that I have chosen. And I'm really happy to be doing that. And like you said, I end up doing that a lot of times. okay. Uh, uh, especially because... Um, um, I feel uh, that uh, responsibility um, more than anything because when I've chosen to be there and give them this much information and I know that they may not be able to get more information from anywhere else I cannot deny giving you know that little bit more so yes and I'm sure like all
0: these years all those conversations all those I know you don't like calling them patients but all those people that have interacted they give you that immense feeling of satisfaction when you see those faces happy in whatever small ways that things change what does it make you feel because I can as in I don't know if you will be able to or in fact uh, knowing you you're the kind of person who will put it in words for us but I see that happiness in your face uh so, so what, what is that feeling like when somebody from a slum like with all these weird notions about life and probably like dejected and like cast outside like comes to you talks to you and probably feels elevated feels free for the first time and finds their identity. What does it feel like to be
1: there and there witnessing that? I think I s- touched upon this earlier as well um, and I would reiterate again I'm not doing any sacrifices or doing anything out of my way. I'm actually being very very selfish because this gives me so much of happiness and satisfaction and that is probably the only reason why I'm continuing to do it and I want to do it for the rest of my life Uh, I have no two thoughts about it or I'm not rethinking it or having other options so I'm very clear that shows that I'm getting so much happiness out of it and uh, I will continue to be selfish and do this which is giving me so much of happiness I would say
0: okay wonderful so last question that I have you for the evening uh, doctor Mm-hmm. You are young, so is our country. So are half the things that should be old and mature by now. What are what are your hopes for the future in this area, especially as a medical professional? And. Uh, an open-minded medical professional who has been working with people a lot what are your hopes for the I, near I future I think
1: there is a lot of hope we are already seeing changes that the decision that is going to come tomorrow is going to be one of the rays of hope that will, will lead us into the future states like Tamil Nadu have done tremendous progress in this area okay. we have uh, hospitals in our own uh, city which have uh, special wards and separate beds for people who are not comfortable either being in the male ward or the female ward okay. so there is so much which we are already is seeing but having a legal recognition for of gender identity of transgender people okay. is something which we should have in the immediate future and that has to be again decided by the community by involving the community itself and asking them what they want Okay. either it should be others or third gender or transgender what is it that they want when we need to make sure that we have that identity in um, and a legal status in that sense okay. um, yes um, developing you know um, clarity on SRS these kind of uh, policy issues which we have are also very important addressing the uh, structural changes that we should make okay. in order to give them their equal st- standing in society yep. is something which is also important and maybe I would like to End with like a small note, which is in a way says that um, hijra's and transgender. Uh, people require understanding and support um, of the government, um, healthcare professionals, general public, as well as uh, their own family members. And for this, it's not just, the onus is not just on all of these people, but it is also on the community to come together on a common platform and to be open to interaction. I think that is very important. And um, we need to understand that everybody is... um, diverse There, there is so much of diversity which is there and we need to accept that. that they need to accept us as, as much as we, we need, to need to understand accept, and accept, yeah, accept them. them so I think yeah that is the way forward and that holds true for all of us
0: uh, this was an awesome awesome bit can't tell you how happy I am with today's show Shreyas what do you think
1: like no this. Words, this right. happened. This happened when Tanvi also came. Yes. Came. To remember. That. So I go into this whole place of taking a back seat and just listening to the whole thing. But
0: it's perfect. It's perfect. In fact, one thing that I learned from Doctor today, and I am going to say that uh, that thing that uh, out here, especially uh, on this show, me and Sharyas are extremely selfish guys. <laughs> so I won't give you a date, but I can promise you for sure that very very soon. Dr. Daya is going to join us again in the studio either on this show or on some other Hmm. show probably more than one but he will be here you will get to listen to him and his expert opinion and get to talk to him get to talk to him but Dr. Daya it was a great great pleasure having you here yes but being the yeah, you're saying. No,
1: something. I'm saying thank you so much for having me here and giving me the opportunity to express no, no. and As to, I said, to share. Pleasure
0: is all ours, and given the kind of selfish, self-centered <laughs> people that we are, we want to make sure that you keep take coming time in. out of. I know the community needs you way more than we do, but we would love to have you here and hear a lot more stories and experiences, and uh, get a lot of knowledge from you, guys. Uh, this is almost a wrap on Q Live Debate. Good evening and good night. Bye, bye.